Welcome to the Worldwide Webinar Fellowship, which you can listen to live every first Wednesday of the month at our website, tltf.org. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message from God's Word encourages, uplifts, and inspires you to grow deeper in your relationship with God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us, and now here is your teacher, John Lynn. All right, wow, what a good-looking crowd there. Thank you so much for taking your time tonight to join with us. We have a rather large crowd, and that's always thrilling, but teaching the Word to one or two people is just as stimulating. So, welcome to 2021. It will be fascinating to see how it compares to 2020. So I was lying in bed resting before this, and I'm, I was thinking of records in the Bible of worldwide assaults on mankind, and I came up basically with three. There could be more. I could be missing one. The first one is Genesis chapter 3. Of course, the world was only two people, but that was a worldwide assault on mankind, and all assaults of the enemy are aimed ultimately to uh, get rid of the Word of God free speech, everything like that, nothing new under the sun. Genesis 6, the Nephilim, like to get uh, one of those for a center in basketball. But anyway, that was a worldwide assault. The flood took care of that. And then Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, was another uh, very in-your-face attempt by Satan worshipers to uh, put the one world government in place. And so God confused their languages. And some people think that was when he separated the continents and put a lot of water. No one could swim that far. And so it temporarily uh, put a wrench in their plans. Of course, those demons are still alive and unwell, and uh, they've never stopped working toward that. And we know the Bible says they will eventually succeed, but we won't be here to live through that insanity and horror beyond what people could um, understand. But now you and I, here we are, and, and we face similar orchestrated mayhem and oppression. And it's the most vivid manifestation of the epic battle of the ages between God and the devil that any of us have ever seen. And sad to say, a lot of uh, Christian churches quickly capitulated to some of the rules that uh, I think were unconstitutional and uh, if I'd had a building I would have not I would have said arrest us all we'll have church at the jail I looked up the word capitulated it means lose your head lose your mind uh, etc so I have no idea what will happen in the United States in the next week or so or afterward but I am praying as I know you are that God will bear his arm on behalf of his people who long for freedom time will tell and in that vein I wonder how soft and compliant I am. In the teeth of tyranny, would I be cowardly? Um, Hope not, but I've never been in the teeth of tyranny like countless people in the Bible face. And certainly I know you, like I, would want to emulate their courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing what's right, even if you're afraid. Do it afraid, and we're going to see a classic record of that coming up. So you can speak for yourself, but I'm sure that I far underestimate who I am in Christ and correspondingly what I can do 
with his power resident within me. We are not supposed to be motivated by circumstances, but we are to understand the circumstances around us and respond appropriately according to God's direction. But basically, we're always to be motivated intrinsically. What's the thing? Uh, I know how to be abased and be abound. Second Corinthians uh, 4, in good times, in season, out of season, Timothy, that kind of thing. So you have verses like, uh, we're always to be motivated intrinsically by the truth that we hold in our hearts. Like the word says, whatever you do, always be steadfast and so forth. Circumstances do require us to adapt wisely and act accordingly and sometimes with greater urgency than at others. Uh, many of you Bible people know the Greek word spudazo. Um, it, it, it means to exert a diligent effort with reverence, but reference to the brevity of time. In other words, step it up. Uh, you have verses like endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. That's spudazo. Study to show yourself approved. That's spudazo. Labor to enter into rest. Another spoonful of spudazo. I don't know if I always think about this, and maybe you don't either, but do you realize we're running out of time? Yeah. Now, I used to say that when I was chest deep in a swamp at Fort Benning, Georgia, in infantry OCS, holding my rifle up above my head out of the water, and all of us together would be trying to keep each other laughing and whatever, and we always would say, hey, look, my second hand is still moving. This too will pass. We're not going to be in this swamp forever. Each minute of each hour of each day that passes is gone forever. And so are the kairos moments. You probably know that word. Kronos means the entity of time. Kairos means the moments that make it up when people step up into the gap, so to speak, and do whatever God wants. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, Kairos is translated opportunity. As we have opportunity, do good to all, etc. So it's time for us to step up. And of course, it has been time and will be time, but and sprint to the tape. A lot of races have been lost in the last few yards. Now, we don't know how much further we have to run, but we know what the tape is, the rapture, the appearing of Christ to take us out of here. And so we have to keep that in sight. Before we go to Judges, there's one verse that came to my mind. It's You don't have to turn to it. I'll tell you the basic gist of it. Daniel 1132, the context there is a war to the death. And the King James says, but those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So I looked up the word exploits, a striking or notable deed, a spirited or heroic act. So that's the kind of stuff I want to do. Now, the testimony of Scripture shows us that in the sight of God, there is a wide range of such notable deeds. On one end of the spectrum, you might have Elijah killing 800 prophets of Baal. Way to go, bro. On the other end of the spectrum, you might have the widow that Jesus saw giving her little mite. Now, of course, other people were standing around saying, I might give some. But she went ahead and gave her mite. So here we go in Judges chapter 6. We're going to read 6 and 7, and we're going to see one guy in particular with whom I can identify 
Again, you'll have to speak for yourself, but he is a sterling example of a weak man whom God made strong. Now, of course, God just didn't grab him by the nape of the neck and pump him up. No, Gideon had to cooperate, and he did so haltingly at best in the beginning of their dialogue, as we will see. So here we go. I'm reading in the New International Version. I love this. Judges chapter 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of Yahweh. They had a bad habit of doing that, and that's why they kept getting their butts kicked by the ites. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, the backdrop, of course, of this uh, Hebrew scriptures is that God is working to preserve the bloodline of the Redeemer, which, of course, came out of Israel. And that would, of course, be Jesus. Another point I want to make is Jesus read this record, probably more than once. So it's not God, literally. We know that from uh, understanding the figurative language. God could not tell them about the devil, etc., etc., etc. So he gave them in the hands of some ites. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So they were basically terrified by this onslaught, in this case it was people, and they hid. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, a bunch of ites invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. You give the enemy an inch, he takes eight billion light years. He is wicked to the core, and so are those who serve him. You cannot reason with evil. It must be destroyed. That's why there will be eventually no peace on earth until a war gets rid of the bad people. Then we'll finally have some peace around here. They came up with their livestock, verse 5, and their tents like swarms of locusts. There are uh, interesting figures of speech here. Here comes a uh, major hyperbole. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, oh, good idea, they cried out to Yahweh for help. When the Israelites cried to Yahweh because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Great song. I haven't heard it for a lot of years, but it's called, You Can Be the Answer to Someone Else's Prayer. And isn't it cool when you, somebody, God puts them on your heart, you call them up and they're, oh my gosh, I was just praying about this and thank you for calling and so forth. So, and the prophet said, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is reminding them of these epic deeds for you and me. He brought us out of sin and death into sonship, etc. I snatched you. From the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors, I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Yahweh your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you live, but you have not listened to me. Okay, a new character is entering the scene here. The angel of Yahweh, whoever that was, came and sat down 
under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to so-and-so where his son Gideon was threshing wheat where? In a wine press. If you've been on a tour of the uh, of the Bible land, Israel, uh, you may have on one that we were on, we went and saw a wine press like this. And it's below ground level, kind of open at the top. But if you were standing on the ground, you know, 100 yards away, you'd never see the people down in there threshing it. And that's why it says threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. All right. And there's Gideon, and here comes the angel of the Lord, appeared to Gideon. He said, yo, Yahweh is with you, mighty warrior. And I could just see Gideon's head on a swivel, where, who, what, oh, you're talking to me? Oh, for heaven's sake. So God's vision for you and for me is a lot bigger than our vision for ourselves, and he will help us grow in faith to walk into that vision if we will take his hand and go forward. So we have to see ourselves like God does. And Gideon starts off with a, but, sir, if Yahweh's with us, what the heck is going on? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not Yahweh bring us up out of Egypt? But now Yahweh has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And of course, God couldn't tell him, excuse me, there's a devil, he hates you, he's responsible for all the bad things that's happening, that are happening, he's trying to sever the bloodline of the Messiah, I'm trying to preserve it until he is born. Now, in the next verse, it says, Yahweh turned to him and said, I can't think of the name of the figure of speech, but the angel of the Lord is who this is, verse 11, but he so represents Yahweh that it just says Yahweh Turn to him at some figure of speech. I don't remember it. And look what this angel said on behalf of Yahweh. It's exactly what God himself wanted said. Go in the strength you have. Well, I'm thinking of Romans 12:18. As much as lies in you, uh, live at peace as far as is possible with you. Mark 14, the woman with the put, put the oil on him. She did what she could. I'm sure there's way more that lies in me than I realize that I can do way more than I think I can do. But in any case, <laughs> he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Oh, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. <laughs> he thought that the strength would be in a lot of people, big armies, something like that. Yahweh answered. Watch these next two verses. Well, actually, I'm going with you. <laughs> and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes. And the angel blinked and said, didn't I just say that? Anyway, if now I have found favor in your eyes, uh, I just need a sign. Oh, boy, I've asked for some. That it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, the angel of the Lord, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be here. 19, Gideon went in, prepared a young goat. I don't think it was already cooked in the refrigerator. Um, you know, waiting in the refrigerator. This is a, took some time. I don't know. I've never done it, but, and from an ephah of flour, 
He made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to this guy under the oak. And this was a lot to give in a famine. 26, the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour out the broth. Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. When we obey God, it enables God to help us. We've talked about that. The receiver runs the right pattern in football so that when the quarterback throws it where he's expecting the receiver to be, bang, there it is. God will always be accurate. Fire flared from the rock. Now picture this. It really happened. Consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of Yahweh, he said, Ah, Lord God, Yahweh, I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. So I'm probably toast. But Yahweh said to him, Peace, chill. Do not be afraid. Probably the most oft-repeated exhortation in Scripture. You're not going to die. So look what happens next. 24, Gideon built an altar to Yahweh there and called it Yahweh is Peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abiyaz rites. So number one, spiritual internal priorities. He worshipped. 25, the same night Yahweh said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, that one over there is seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, Satan in essence, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. It was a big phallic symbol. Then build a proper kind of altar to Yahweh, your God, on top of that. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down and offer a second bull as a burnt offering. Now, that's quite a bit of wood to roast a bull or whatever, so it was a pretty big phallic symbol. 27. Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as Yahweh told him. Way to go. Do it afraid. Just do it. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. But he did it. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They looked around. Who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, uh-oh, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded Joash, get your kid out here. He must die because he, kid, you know, get your son out here. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar. In some way, those who preach the truth of the word are tearing down some religious altars and sacred cows in Christianity. And it says, he broke down the altar, and he cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 31, now watch this. Joash, it was his deal, the, the thing he set up. But Joash got some courage from somewhere, and I'm going to say he was inspired by his son and his son's example. And he replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? I think Gideon's obedience, fearful though it was, sparked something in Joash to stand up for what's right. Hopefully, 
you and I can do the same thing for others. You trying to save Vale? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. <laughs> He's really turned around here. If Vale really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon, Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal contend with him. I guess that's what that meant. 33, the plot thickens. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces, crossed over the Jordan, camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of Yahweh came upon Gideon. You and I have that within us as incorruptible seed. And he blew a trumpet, summoning, summoning the folks to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh. Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Azure, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. So Gideon inspired courage in others. Let's hope you and I do that. 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, <laughs> as you have promised. God is so patient beyond what at least he is with me. He said, look, um, I'm going to put this wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So he had the word of God, but he needed something in the senses realm to fully convince him. I've asked for stuff like that recently. And that's what happened. Gideon rose up the next day, squeezed the fleece, wrung out the dew, and he had a bowl full of water. <laughs> 39, Gideon said to God, um, uh, don't be angry, but if I could just make one more request, if you just allow me one more test with the fleece, and this time I want the fleece to be dry and the ground wet. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. Chapter 7, early in the morning, Jerubbaal is contending with Baal, kind of a maybe little more of a warrior name. And all his people camped at the spring of Herod. I think we went there on the Bible land tour. Uh, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Yahweh said to Gideon, um, you know, you got too many people here for me to deliver Midian because if they do it with this number, Israel's going to boast against me and say, oh, we saved her in our own strength. So here's what I want you to tell the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So what happened? 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now, these are real humans. They had to make a decision. Maybe one brother stayed and one brother left. Who knows what each was feeling, but it really happened. But Yahweh said to Gideon, uh, sorry, there's still too many. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. In other words, I'll help you pick who I want to go with you. If I say this one shall go, he will go. But if I say, uh, nope, that guy doesn't go. There's Gideon obeying again. So Gideon took the man down to the water. There Yahweh told him, separate those. Let's see who drinks how. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lap with their hands to their mouths. In other words, they knelt down beside the water, reached in with cupped hands, and brought the water to their mouth and began to lap it. In a minute, I'll tell you the difference between the two, because here's the, la the other bunch. 
All the rest got down on their knees to drink. What's the point? The people that just buried their faces in the water were no longer vigilant regarding the enemy. The other people knelt, raised the water up. They could still look around and see what was going on and be vigilant, and they drank that way. In other words, they did not allow, and I've done this especially lately, I'm starving all the time, and I can't eat as much as I would like, and sometimes I just, oh gosh, let me have more of that, more of that, and then I pay the price sometimes with my tummy, but anyway, so their priorities weren't quite right. And so verse 7, Yahweh said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, he's to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. That's going to be significant. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. <laughs> this is wild. During that night, Yahweh said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. But in essence, if you're afraid to attack, which I'm kind of getting the picture you might be, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So now picture this. So he gets up, hey, Pura, let's go. And they went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, Amalekites, and all the other ites had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Another figurative, <laughs> and look at this one. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Hyperbole, meaning a lot of camels. Now look at this. Gideon arrived. Talk about Kairos moments. Gideon arrived just as a man. They snuck up on the camp in the dark where they could hear people talking. He arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. Uh, Bob, I, I just had a dream, he was saying. Uh, well, what was it, Fred? Well, it was kind of weird. Uh, a round loaf of barley bread, and barley was considered an inferior grain and only half the value of wheat, which was a fitting symbol for Israel and their inferiority in numbers. But anyway, uh, he said, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling in the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Fourteen is insane. His friend responded, well, obviously, I broke my brother. This can't be anything else than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. So God works for us in many ways that we don't never even know and wouldn't understand. But in any case, this is ridiculous. Oh, barley bread, got to be Gideon. No one. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard that, and its interpretation, he worshipped God. And he and Pura hightailed it back to the camp of Israel and called out to everybody, Get up, boys. Yahweh has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets. See, they needed these trumpets that they had. And empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. You got the picture? Watch me, he said. Follow my lead. Now, you know, I've been in that position, and you probably have too, where you're the leader. All it means is you go first. 
It's all it means. So watch me follow my lead. I mean, gee, that's kind of a responsibility, but we can live up to it if we just obey God. When I get to the edge of the camp, you do exactly what I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, you blow yours and shout. Here's the, here's the shout. For Yahweh and for Gideon, it is not wrong to inspire others and have them highly respect you and trust you. But it takes a, a steadfast example over time for people to get to that place. And of course, nobody's perfect. And I'm sure I've let some people down and whatever. But for the Lord, for Yahweh, and for Gideon, 19, Gideon, 100 men with him, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, which is when they just wanted to sleep, the, the enemy. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars um, that were in their hands, three companies of 100 each. So what was happening is when these Midianites were jolted out of a sound sleep and obviously maybe confused, groggy, whatever, they thought that there were 300 large groups of soldiers surrounding them. But really, there were only 300 people and each one was doing what they were supposed to do. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands, holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. Of course, they weren't even holding their sword. Probably had it with them. But while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, Yahweh caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. I have no idea how that happened. But they must have thought in the dark and so forth, that's an enemy, they're on us. They just started flailing wildly with their swords. The enemy fled to Bathsheba. He could probably say something about how scared they were with that phrase, but in any case, toward wherever, as far as the border of this place near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out now, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them. Block the river as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. Evil must be destroyed. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of these two guys to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Turn to Isaiah 41, if you would. What an amazing record. Just our God. Just as an example of the kind of thing that he can do for us. And he will do no less for you and me than he ever did for any of the people of Israel. And so Isaiah 41, I'm going to read you 8 to 14. And this will uh, be the first of a couple of little sections, actually three, that says what, and the point of it is, what we focus on, we become like. So you can focus on circumstances and get dizzy circum or you can focus on the word of god and it will help you understand the circumstances and how to deal with them and these are such tender verses 
And remember, God's talking to Israel. You and I are born again children of the Creator. I have no idea how much God loves me, but I'm working on it. So Isaiah 41, 8 to 14. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. Some of us on this call tonight were in the farthest corners of darkness, and God called us. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, because I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. So the more we know about the I and his love and power and goodness and patience, the more fearless we will be. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you ain't going to find them because they're toast. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. 13, for I am the Lord your God. Yes, this is the last verse here. Who takes hold of your right hand and says, don't fear, don't be afraid. I will help you. Psalm 34, the first five verses. Psalm 34, 1 to 5. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And maybe the worse the circumstances, the more fervent praise there should be. Verse 2, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Come on. Don't be afraid. Let's rock. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So, you know, you may have been in situations where Somebody at work or something said, you know, you just look different. You're you're kind of shining and whatever. But that's kind of what it's talking about. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, a classic section. And then we're going to close with these three little prayers in the church epistles, followed by the crescendo finish of Romans 8. So all of this COVID masking is extremely dehumanizing. Uh, where have all the smiles gone? You and I, we don't want to have a veil over our faces as we deal with the Lord. We want the open face sandwich of 2 Corinthians 3, and we'll see it starting in verse 12. And this comes out of the record of Moses, went up on the mountain, came down glowing. All the Israelites couldn't even look at him. He was so bright, so he put a veil, and eventually... That glory of the Lord glow faded. And verse 11 says, And if what was fading away came with glory, huh, that's nothing compared to this that we're going to get. Verse 12. You there? Second Corinthians 3.12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very timid. No, no. The more. So to me it says, the more convinced I am of the hope, the more bold I am. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, 
For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. And he says about the Jews, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. They don't see the messianic prophetic truth and so forth. 16, 17, 18. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that's Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Capital S is correct. Jesus is also called the Spirit in several places. And where the small s, Spirit of the Lord, is, there is freedom. You and I can carry our freedom internally. No matter who tells us we can't talk to somebody or go there or eat here or whatever. And we, 18, is a, it's just loaded with amazing words. And we, you and I, believers, Christians, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord, that's Jesus, face to face with Christ my Savior. Well, we're going to be face to face with him one day, but we want to live, quote, quote, face to face with him. And when we do, we reflect the Lord's glory. What do you need to be to do that? You need a reflector. You need light, and you need the reflector to be pointed at you and you to be pointed at the reflector. And what happens? We are metamorphomide. Romans 12.2, I think, is the only other use of this wonderful word. We are transformed into his likeness. I'm so far from that. but With what kind of glory? Not fading, not even remaining the same like Moses, bright as heck. But we have our transformation is with ever-increasing glory. This is a lifetime growth spurt, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. The prayers in the church, I'm using the word ecclesia more and more. Church is a horrible and confusing translation for a lot of folks. But these prayers in the church epistles are God's vision of you and me. And so we must make them our vision of ourselves by acting accordingly. So you have one in Ephesians, one in Philippians, one in Colossians. Ephesians 1, 15 to 21, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. That's how I feel about you, and that's how all of our leadership nucleus in TLTF, just this little pipsqueak bunch, but we sure love you. We thank you for your support in prayer, in love, in finances. You know, I guess we would have probably 300 people at least that would band together, whatever. Anyway, 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Kind of hope, love, and faith. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and blasted him off to blaze a trail to the heaven of heavens and the divine council where you guys will be coming one day. Far above all rule and authority and dominion and every title that can be given, 
not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Philippians 1, 9 to 11, and Colossians is easy to remember because it's also 9 to 11. It'll be actually 9 to 12. Now, this Philippians 1, 9 to 11 is loaded with 50 cent Greek words, and I'm not going to take the time to unpack them, but I got so many notes in my Bible here, I can barely see the English because there are so many cool connections for these words elsewhere and whatever, but we'll just read 9 to 11. Again, in verse 8, he says, God can testify for how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That trip I took in October, it's all wonderful, but I went by myself and to the Northeast, kind of my old stomping grounds, and some of those nights seeing people I hadn't seen, seeing them reconnect with one another, what a privilege. I can't tell you that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, epigenosis, and depth of insight. Is that word dokematsu? Um, I'm sorry, coming up, dokematsu. So that you may be able to dokematsu, like Romans 12, 2, discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, the rapture, filled with the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you would take the time to just kind of focus on these little prayers and and maybe at least think about the different words, maybe you want to unpack them, so forth, it's really worth it. Colossians 1, 9. We are turning into the home stretch here, folks. Colossians 1, 9 to 11. For this reason, since today we heard about you. He's thinking of individual people. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the epigenosis, the thorough knowledge acquired by experience, stronger than genosis. Fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy is the word axios. It means balanced, like the axle of a car and all. So our balance is seek the Lord first and then act accordingly and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the epigenosis of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. I need that. And joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Go back to Romans chapter 8. You might even have these verses memorized. And we'll start in 31 and let this crescendo build here to finish this first part, the doctrinal side of Romans 1 through 8. And you know these, you've heard them many times, but let them sink in here. 31, what then shall we say in response to this? And of course, the previous verses, You're called, you're justified, you're glorified. If God is for us, who, put a lot of people in that category, wicked, evil people, who can be against us? I love 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I used to say this when I was talking to W.O.W., ambassadors. Later, I told them, don't throw your pen away. 
turn it upside down and wear it on Mother's Day. Yeah, Mom, that's right. You can get a job and housing because God gave Jesus. So, I mean, come on. 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God, who justifies, question mark. Who is he that condemns? Christ, who died? More than that, it was raised to life? Nah, he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you and me, that's us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or masks or whatever? And then quote from the Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures, Psalm 40-something, I think. As it is written, is this what it's like? For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, that's old hat. In all these things, we are Hooper Nikeo, Nike, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, thank you so much again. I'm going to pray before we uh, split here. Please contact us if there's anything we can do for you. We're available. you got the website, tltf.org, with all kinds of stuff on there. I still have free copies of the uh one Day with the Creator DVD. Be glad to send you. I just sent somebody a box of 12 of them because he's giving them away like wild, like crazy. And uh, so uh, amazing amount of resources on our website. Um, none of us are roaming the planet for a while, kind of hunkered down for winter and doing some things to get ready to go again. If our ministry touches you, We'd love to see you respond financially. The more we have, the more we can do. If you like what we're putting out, we can put out more. So, and those of you who are faithful supporters financially, it's the proof of your love, according to 2 Corinthians 8, 24. And we are so thankful for you. Uh, we, we can't tell you. We pray for God's best in your life. So, next Wednesday, the Testimonies of God's Goodness Fellowship, three weeks to February WWF, let's continue to pray. I'm sure you are already for our president and our leaders. And I just, I've told you this before. I pray for the good people to be brought forward and the bad people to be crushed. So I think that's a biblical prayer. So I will pray and uh, I wish I could just hug each of you in your little square there. But uh, I'll be back out on the road with Elizabeth. I just bought a little car that we can tow behind the uh, RV. So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a privilege to have your word, to have your spirit, to have your family. I bless every person that has anything to do with this ministry. Prosper them, heal them. I pray for everybody you know on the earth who would like what we have. We want to find them. So, I don't know how we can do it. I have no idea. But you can do the impossible. And maybe we could see some kind of spiritual revival. I don't know. But we have what people could use to um, kindle something like that. So I just pray for a lot of young people to rise up and people to, well, you call them to teach, but that they want to teach, that they get thrilled. There's nothing like it when 
you know, it's just feeling, knowing that that's you speaking, the next thought, bang, not always, but a lot of the time. And it's just such a partnership, same thing, teaching or writing or something like that, or going out and witnessing on a bus stop or whatever you do to help somebody. So a lot of people need help these days. They're terrified. So Father, bless us indeed. Enlarge our territory. May your good hand be on us and keep us from evil that we would not cause pain. That was the prayer of Jabez, and you honored it in a mighty way. So we love you. Thank you so much. We will see you up the road. God bless you. Franco's got a great song to play. So just let it wash over you. Bless your heart. We were founded on your word and on your laws. One nation undivided under God. From the rolling hills where children play to the sunny streets of East L.A. Heal this nation, oh God, we pray. Liberty, freedom, truth, we call this nation back to you. Your destiny is to be.
to be.